0: Welcome to another episode of the Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing? Barney, how's things? Yeah, man, all right. I mean, look,
1: I just want to get straight down to it. Um, <laughs> we try to be as positive as we can here about, you know, Portuguese football and the Premier League, But um, I've just had half an hour here um, waiting for you um, and... <laughs> I've got to say, the standard or the or the lack of anything really of um, welcome to Victoria De Grimaldi's videos, <laughs> or <laughs> there's just nowhere near enough. Look at the Premier League; you get like ones every every few seconds. But in in uh, in
0: Portugal, you know, I think that the Portuguese fans need to really pull their fingers out and start <laughs> making sure, some of these videos. I'm sure if I went on YouTube right now, I'd find twenty Enzo Fernandes welcome to Chelsea compilations. You know, but where's the one for you know? Pretoria's new wigger that they signed from the second division. That's what we need. Exactly. <laughs> I need more of that.
1: Um, no, I'm good, man. i mean I've got. Uh, it, I found the transfer deadline day quite hard. I've been quite busy, so it was, it was really hard to keep up with. And and as you know, I'm a I'm an addict to transfers and, uh, you know, Sky Sports transfers and a transfer market. You know, I need to get on there and check every every half hour, but I wasn't able to do that, so I felt felt quite out of the loop yesterday. And I've been trying to catch up today, but. Yeah,
0: it was a bit of a mad one. Well, um, you're in luck and then anyone else listening feels like they're a bit out of the loop. Uh, you're also in luck because today's podcast is going to be a transfer window special because, of course, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 1st of February, the day after the night before, the day after the January transfer window deadline. And I think we can all agree that this was one of the most crazy transfer deadline days we've had in Portugal in a very long time. I remember saying that last January as well, but then this one has definitely topped it. So we're going to give you a rundown of all the big deals that happened on the last day of the transfer window. We're going to look at uh, which clubs have signed well during the transfer window as a whole, which ones have lost out, uh, and we're going to pick up on some deals that you might have missed from the January transfer window as well. So a lot of transfer talk coming up, and in the second half of the podcast, we're going to do a non-Big Four special in terms of game discussion because with the games all a bit haywire this week in different places. Um, Benfica played last night, Porto and Sporting and playing tonight. And Braga. So we're going to focus on all the games that happened over the weekend and that gives us a chance to focus on some of the smaller teams, which we always like to do. So you're in for a great episode. Um, could be a bit of a bump one, so let's see how we get on. But um, we have to start, Barney, with uh, the biggest deal of the window, the biggest deal in Portugal since, well, I was going to say a long time, but since Darwin Nunes left for Liverpool... Uh, one of the most remarkable and insane transfer sagas that i can remember in my time following portuguese football and that is of course enzo fernandez who signed for chelsea in a deal worth 120 million euros now the details that we've heard are that chelsea will pay 40 million euros up front and the rest in six installments so this is a deal that looks pretty much dead in the water It seemed that Chelsea had kind of accepted after going in for Enzo in the first week of the transfer window, they'd kind of accepted that Benfica weren't going to sell for anything less than his release clause. Uh, And the deal seemed to be pretty much over. But in the last 24 hours of the January transfer window, it was resurrected. And at 12.45am, 45 45 minutes past midnight, Benfica released a statement announcing that Enzo Fernandes had been sold to Chelsea for 121 million euros with 25% of the fee going to his former club ever played now he becomes the most expensive player ever to sign for an English Premier League club surpassing the likes of Jack Grealish, Paul Pogba, Romelu Lukaku and will move to London to play for Chelsea now I went on record saying I thought this deal was impossible I did not believe that you could get a deal this big and this complicated done on the last day of the transfer window but here we are obviously this is an incredible transfer in terms of the fee but how do you view this deal, Barney? And how and and how do you think Benfica fans will will respond to this?
1: I've got to be honest as well. I think it, it did surprise me though. It went over the line. I think um, with everything that happened as January progressed, I was thinking this looks less and less likely. But but here we are. And now I think it's it's almost absurd, isn't it? Because if it wasn't for the fact that he's actually really good, this would be one of the <laughs> most weirdest transfers ever. But You know, it's, it's in six months, Benfica. Turn a profit of eighteen million Essentially, you know, for, for considering the fee they paid River played back in uh, in the summer, and and I guess we've got to include you know, Enzo's performance in the World Cup, which should have almost, you know, whereas in previous seasons Chelsea would have absolutely waited till the summer, She'd give him a full season, see what he's like. But because he had that World Cup, I think that's what's made them pull the trigger really, and 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 really force it through. I think Rui Costa is. Perhaps let Benfica fans down and this. And I, I find it hard to quantify the importance of Enzo in this Benfica team. You know, there's a lot of other good players. There's a lot of, um, you know, Roger Schmidt. Obviously, had an impact on this team. And I, 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 as good as he is to watch and, and seeing his statistics and stuff, it, it's it doesn't feel as an as big a loss as say, I perhaps thought sort of Luis Diaz was to Porto this time last year. You know, there's other players in that squad, but I think seeing. A lot of other fans on Twitter, their, their reaction is, not defeatist, but very disappointed, and because they didn't need to sell, they, they were going to get their money at any, at some point anyway, ev- everyone was going to be in for him in the summer, but it's an amazing story, uh, uh, but also, yeah, a very surprising story, and I, I do wish him luck, but I would have liked to have had a bit more time to enjoy watching him play.
0: You know the incredible thing that I find about this whole Enzo Fernandez deal is that, do you remember back when Benfica signed him, and they had this really bizarre um transfer deal where they agreed the fee to sign Enzo Fernandez but they agreed to let him stay at River Plate as long as as he was in the Copa Libertadores and that meant that if if River Plate had got to the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores that would have been outside the January transfer window outside the summer transfer window and he wouldn't even have been moving to Benfica until the 1st of January and of course everyone expected River Plate to get to the semi-finals and and they were knocked out prematurely um against a team I think they were who they were expected to be. So it's such, the bizarre thing is that if, if if that deal had gone how people expected it to and, and River Plate had got to the semifinals or the finals of the Copa Libertadores, there's an alternate universe where Enzo Fernandez stays at River Plate until January. Possibly doesn't go to the World Cup if he's not playing for Benfica in the Champions League. I mean I can't confirm that, but it's, I think it's much less likely that he goes to um the World Cup if he's not playing for Benfica doesn't have the world cup that he had and has only just arrived at benfica but it just goes to show how how things can change so quickly and it is worth reinstating just how incredible it is that he was signed by benfica for i believe it was 18 million euros or a a deal totally 18 million euros or something like that in the summer and then just a few months later he's leaving for 120 million euros that is really really incredible ultimately that's the point, right? Is
1: that how could any club refuse that money for, for a player who's played for him for that short amount of time? As good as he might have been, I don't think anybody could turn it down. You know, I, I think they'd be fools to do that.
0: Well, I think this is what starts to become confusing because, you know, we're asking about how the Benfica fans are going to respond to this, and some people are feeling betrayed by Rui Costa, but this is where it becomes confusing. Has his release clause not been paid then? Is this not a deal that they are contractually? contractually obliged to accept is that not the situation because I understand that the deal is being paid on installments and that was one of the sticking points you know Rui Costa wanted to accept either none or as few installments as possible and I think that's what was really holding up the negotiations of course it sounds like basically what happened was it got to the last few hours of the window Chelsea said look we're committed to giving you 40 million up front the players completed his medical he's ready to sign the deal can we just sign and you're going to get 120 million uh, 120 million euros in your pocket very soon? And it sounded like their, their hand was for So it's a bit confusing about whether the, um, the release clause was paid, because of course, if it was, then it's completely out of Benfica's hands. And I think, credit to him by the sounds of it, to me, it seems like Rui Costa did everything he could to prevent Enzo Fernandez from leaving, or even when the 120 million euros was agreed, to kind of hold it up as long as he could with these talks of instalments and what have you. So, personally, I know a lot of Benfica fans might disagree with this, but I think I don't. Th- I don't think this reflects badly on the Benfica board at all. I think they made their position clear that they wanted to keep him. They didn't have to sell him, and that they would commit to uh, keeping Enzo Fernandes for as long as possible. Of course, this now comes down to how will it affect Benfica in this season coming up. His departure. I think you're quite right to point out that. Um, this is a Benfica team with many many good players who contribute to their the success they've had this season And Enzo Fernandes is just one player and my personal opinion is that they will still win the Premier Liga without him I think their squad is still good enough to win the Premier League, even if they'd never signed Enzo Fernandes in the first place so in that in that sense I think they'll be okay the difference for me comes down to the Champions League I think he would have been a difference maker in the Champions League and the question is if Benfica were targeting this season as a a year to go deep in the Champions League obviously they're coming up against Club Bruges at quite a good time Bruges not in good form so it's an opportunity to progress that's the one thing that could could I could question because that mid- midfield suddenly seems a bit lighter but in general I, I personally believe that like I said the club made it clear that they wanted to keep him and I think did everything they they could really to keep him within reason and have built a squad and a team in a position that is more than good enough to win the league and I think they will have a decent start at the Champions League so I don't look too badly on this deal happening now. Obviously, it's not ideal. It would have been more perfect for it to happen in the summer. But, listen, it is what it is, and I think they've made the best of the situation, in my opinion.
1: And it's nice that it's, yeah, again, another transfer record being broken, involved in the, the Premier League. You know, that, that that's always a good sign.
0: Yeah, it's a great, um, it's a great accolade for Benfica and for the league. Um, well, let's talk about one of the other big deals, Barney. Um, one of the other big departures... On deadline day was of course Fatinha from Braga who joined Marseille for 32 million euros. Um, now his release clause of 30 million euros was allegedly met by three clubs uh, the day before the transfer window closed. Uh, those clubs were Southampton and Brighton from England and of course Marseille which was where he ended up going. Now I would have loved to see seen him stay in the Premier League from a very selfish point of view because everyone who listens to this podcast knows I love the guy but I can see why he took the deal at Marseille in the end. Again, it's another situation where I think his release clause was paid, so there's not much that Braga could have done to prevent it, other than I suppose to have had a higher release clause in the first place. But perhaps that's, you know, the benefit of hindsight helping me say that.
1: The release clause screamed to me, it was protecting themselves from the other, the big three clubs in this league. You know, that that's you know that would have been a, a huge fee for, for those clubs from Kane to pay for a player in this league but it also felt like they didn't think about that kind of like self <laughs> and being able to, to stumble that money no problem and uh, I, I I think perhaps Bryson would have been interesting of course but I, I understand why he chose Marseille I, 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 the other detail I'm, I'm interested in now but I'm, I, I'm a bit obviously don't know the full-ins and outs and perhaps you might know a little bit more from, than me and perhaps I'm talking nonsense here but the fact that in the deal Braga secured a 60 million buyback clause now <laughs> seems optimistic to me <laughs> well the, the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I assume this means from Marseille and Braga's point of view uh, Marseille just signed Vettina for 32 million euros but if then a few years down the line a big club comes in and offers a f- wants to buy him for over the price of 60 million Braga would then have first dibs buy him back and then send him for 70 million making you know 10 million pro- you know it, it might well like that and so that is quite sensible in my opinion because obviously he's a very talented striker and, and from what we've seen you know we, we we think he's destined for the top at some point so I think that's a good move in that, in, in that sense I guess the only thing that, that just to add to this from my side is that you know the lack of replacement and perhaps they have that in other players who they've signed in this window but you know there's no out and out striker secured and maybe that's something for Braga fans to worry
0: about well, we'll talk about Fran Navarro in just a second. It looked like it was going to be the replacement. But I agree, I think that is isn't uh, that is an issue. You know, They went from having three strikers that they trusted and who they rotated uh, to now and having... who was contributing. T- and who were all contributing to now having two. And we know that Arthur George likes to play with two strikers uh, during the game, and so now he's only got two. What if one needs resting or there's a suspension or there's an injury to one of those strikers? Um, it looks like Braga are prepared to perhaps change the system to, to one striker, especially with some of the players they brought in like Bruma who will be playing on the wing. So that will be interesting to see how they cope losing a key player. Um but I'm I'm optimistic because they made other good signings and they've still got two great strikers on their books. Yeah. Albert oh, well, I just have one quick question. You know, uh, we, we just we briefly
1: talked that the release scores, the folks too many euros but do you think that's a fair price for Fatina at this point in his career uh, in this moment in time.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's far off. Yeah, I think I think it's probably pretty pretty spot on. And I think the the advantage for for Braga that we have to remember is that, you know, when we talk about Enzo Fernandes going for 120 million euros, there's a huge elephant in that room which is that River Plate getting 25% of that fee. The one benefit for Braga in this situation is that there's no other parties in, in invested in Fortinha. That's 100% their sale. And also he's a player from the youth Academy so there's been no it's not even like they paid a transfer fee for him in the first place. So it's thirty-two million euros. I think it's probably pretty fair for for what he's he's worth. I think if he'd gone at the beginning of the season, he would have gone for less. It would have been closer to twenty million. So, yeah, I think it's it, the fee. I, I'm not mad at at all, and it's worth saying. By thirty-two million euros, Broca's biggest ever sale. You know, it's bigger than what they sold Trincao to Barcelona. So, you know, it, it's it's a good deal from a financial perspective for Vitinha. Uh, for Braga, and I think in, in general I feel pretty positive. Other than the fact that I just wanted to watch him every week, so I will be, of course, sad to see him go. Um let's talk about Fran Navarro and Barney because I think this is the only deal that could rival the Enzo Fernandez deal in terms of drama. Um because Fran Navarro is allegedly off to Porto. Yes, you heard that correctly. Not Braga, Porto, as he's allegedly agreed to sign in for Porto in the summer. For a deal totalling 8 million euros, and he'll stay on loan at Gilbert until the end of the season. It's important to say, Barney, this hasn't been confirmed by Ever Club, but it has been widely reported in the press. Um, this wasn't how the deal was expected to go, though. It originally, as we said, it originally looked like he was off to Celta to Vigo, managed by Carlos Cavalio. They're the team who'd been the most interested in the player uh, this window. Uh, that was until, of course, Bettini's release clause was met by those three clubs that we just mentioned. And Braga suddenly needed a replacement fast. And then it looked very much like he was going to be off to Braga. The best bit about that, Barney, was that they it looked like Braga had stolen Fran Navarro from under Cavanao's nose. At the same time Carlos Cavanao was attending Braga's annual gala was when they decided to nick the player from underneath him. So I thought that was an absolutely incredible power move. Um, but then, of course, that wasn't the end of it, was it? Less than 24 hours later, um, it was reported that Navarro's move to Braga had collapsed, and just a few hours after that, the surprise news came in that Porto had agreed to assign a player and leave him on loan until the end of the season. Now, it didn't end there. There was a final twist when it emerged that Benfica had then offered €10 million euros for Navarro, €2 million euros more than Porto did, but the Gil Vicente chairman, turned down the deal because allegedly he wanted to keep his word to Porto all of this happening Barney whilst Fran Navarro is playing and scoring for Gilles against Passos this was a truly insane transfer saga for me this was the most bizarre thing to happen on deadline day and something that I really cannot remember saying before
1: yeah and, and the fact that he's still at, at Gilles is incredible I mean my instant takeaway of it, sort of, in the aftermath of all this was I just felt ported this despite Braga, you know, to to, de- to weaken them, to sort of hope that they, in essentially denying them a replacement striker, as, as you mentioned there. And um particularly considering the amount of strikers Porter have got at all of decent quality. Yeah, I think I, I would have been gutted if he went to Spain. I think, although that might have been quite a good move for him, but I think the fact that he's staying in Portugal is, is a good thing and it will be very interesting, you know to see to see
0: see him play the rest of the season and and what he can do it's huge that he's staying on Gilles percent I think that was the thing for Gilles percent for, if he was going to go to Braga it was going to be this window and I yeah. think for them to lose this player um, in the situation that they're in which let's face it is not great they're improving but they're still at the bottom end of the table and to lose their managed striker this window would have been a disaster so I think you know the fact that he's staying on loan is 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 really valuable to them and of course let's not forget that this is a huge sum of money for Gilles percent eight million euros that. You know, they lost key players in the summer for really small transfer fees. So I think it's probably right that they do cash in on him. His deal-ins in 2024, so €8 million Euros for a player whose contract's up in 2024. That's served them really well and continues to serve them well. I think it's probably the right time to cash in. And I think, ultimately, he was never going to stay as Gilles percent forever. And I think this is probably about as good um, a scenario as Gilles percent could hope for in terms of his departure you know they keep the player until the end of the season and they get a hefty fee um, so yeah I think it's it's on the whole it's probably a good move for them the thing I have doubts about Oban is how he's going to feel at Porto because this is a team with Meli Tony Martinez um, Evan Nilsson Danny Nomaso I can only assume that at least one or two of those strikers will be leaving for Fran Navarro to be considered a, an important signing for them but that sounds like a problem for the summer you know we'll worry about that next season perhaps well, it lasted, the last big deal of Deadline Day was, of course, Pedro Poirot, uh, who moved from Sporting to Tottenham for a deal totalling €47 million. Euros. Another deal like the Enzo Fernandez deal, which we thought might have been off at the last minute, but was rescued on Deadline Day. And the player was confirmed uh, as a Spurs player late into the evening. It's a big fee, €47 million. Euros. I heard Andy Brass on Sky Sports News saying he reckons Spurs might have slightly overpaid for Pedro Porro. I'm inclined to agree slightly I thought he would have gone for maybe just 40 million euros but Spurs have got the player that they wanted and a player that I've said before is comfortably one of the best players in this league a player that I believe has the quality to play definitely in the Premier League and in the Champions League should Spurs get back there and in the end financially I think it's a deal that will suit both parties of course good financially for sporting but nonetheless a, a big blow to lose a key player in such a key position that's so important to them
1: simply from a sporting sense i just so happened to be stumbling across some odd statistics and and i was seeing the the most frequent goal and assist from the same two players in the team and, and currently the, the top of the table is pedro Poros just uh, pedro if in the league for that with three goal combinations between those two this season and i think I think it's uh, obviously a, a fantastic move for him and uh, and, uh, and he will slip straight into uh, Antonio Conte's system there and, and, and that obviously was sort of a big factor in this movie and you know, the fact that he's been so effective in Cameron's five-at-the-back system, you know. Yeah. Looking at the deal, out, well, I think the fact that they also got that 15% of uh, the ownership of Marcus Edwards in there was important, you know, and, and quite significant as well because that that will also help them when, when that move, if it ever happens, uh, comes about. So really sad to see him go... Really, really sad, but I think uh, the money was good, and 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 everything else included, sort of, yeah, made sense.
0: Yeah, I think perhaps you know what we're seeing with this deal with Enzo with Vitina, is Portuguese club kind of getting to grips with the fact that these big deals are happening in January now, when usually they would happen in the summer. And I, and I think Sporting, you know, like they did bring in Bella, and you know Bella is a big name, you know, it's a high profile replacement. But that said, I think there are doubts about his fitness perhaps and, and his maybe things like his motivation and stuff like that you know so that would be we'll have to wait and see that's not a guarantee that it's going to come off you know it's not a guarantee that he's going to be able to contribute as much as what Pedro Piro did but again you kind of sense that Sporting were, were kind of backed into a corner with this one and, they, and he was always going to leave the The benefits are that they got a big fee a fee that they should be happy with and they got like you said 15% of Marcus Severs rights back so there's some positives but I think Sporting will feel quite disappointed about this deal because they're not having a, the same season that Benfica are having then they haven't got the same squad that Benfica have got and so losing Pedro Porro feels like much more of a loss to Sporting than perhaps losing Enzo Fernandez does to uh, Benfica so I think that's for me probably why it feels like a slightly more disappointing deal for Sporting. Well look that is a roundup of what we consider to be the biggest deals that happened on Transfer Deadline Day. Of course, they weren't the only deals to happen on Transfer Deadline Day. Some other notable transactions that took place, Sporting again involved in the Deadline Day market. Uh, a deal that had been rumoured and came off a of Deadline Day was their signing, of Usman Diamande, the 19-year-old Ivorian centre-back, who joined them technically from Michelin, but has been on loan at Mafra this the season. And I think that's where Sporting have scouted him. It's a hefty fee, Barney. It's seven point five million euros rising to a potential twelve point five, but of course I'm sure that'll be dependent on some, you know, some kind of sporting achievements. Um, other deals that people might have missed on Deadline Day, Ode Debag, the Palestinian striker who's done so well for Aruka recently, and who we've been singing his praises, he left Aruka for Charleroi in Belgium. Allegedly that deal had been agreed for the, to happen on the expiry of his contract in the summer but Charleroi and the player both pushed for uh, a deal to happen in this window with a small amount of financial compensation going to Aruka. And Paulo Bernardo from Benfica and Hernani from Braga both joined Passos de Ferreira on loan to reinforce struggling Passos. Rafik Gaitan, those of you with keen memories will remember him from Maritimo, an attacking midfielder who played pretty well, is back in Portugal. He joins Estoril on loan from Rem. Uh, and... As- that caught my eye, Barney. Everyone's favourite second division side, B. SAD, signed a total of nine players on transfer deadline day, including a man with the biggest head I have ever seen. That had um, to be photoshopped, man. I couldn't <laughs> believe that. I'll leave it at that. Feel free to go on their Twitter page to check that one out if you're not, book, if you're not blocked by them. Um, and of course, the most bizarre uh, transfer this window, and in my opinion, one of the most bizarre transfers uh, in Portuguese football history. As 55-year-old striker Kazuyoshi Miura, yes, 55 years old, the oldest active football player in the world, has joined Oliver ends in the second division. I mean, fun knows what's going on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I, saw
1: a lot of people yesterday um, commenting on the amount of tweets uh, Fabrizio Rosmane, who was was tweeted about uh, Enzo Fernandez over the past month. I think um, the only... Person who's who's trumpeting on that is the amount of tweets you've tweeted about uh, King Kazoo <laughs>
0: <laughs> mate. I love it. I'm booking my tickets to go and watch him. Uh, you know, I'm his biggest fan. <laughs> it is just incredible the fact that they signed a 55 year man. I mean, it's great, but yeah. <laughs> Right, well let's not forget that there was football played this weekend, it wasn't just transfers and as you might have noticed, the Premier League schedule was a little bit messed up, all of the big teams played in midweek we haven't had a chance, we wanted to get a podcast out before it was too late in the week, so we decided we're not going to cover the big four in this podcast and just focus on some of the smaller teams that played on Sunday Monday, uh, one game from Tuesday, so we're gonna start off, Barney, with Paso de Ferreira 2, Gilbert Cent one. Now, this game was our most recent Monday night football event. For those that don't know, this is an event that we hold once a month on Zoom, where you can join us and other listeners to the podcast while watching a bit of an obscure game of Premier Liga football. And we picked this game because I really predicted good things from it considering the two teams involved. Pasos after getting their first win of the season and playing well against Brano would have been growing in confidence. Uh, and Jules Vicent, who have also struggled this season, but started to get into gear under new manager Daniel Sousa, I thought both of these teams would have been bang up for this game, and they did not disappoint. Jules Vicent initially went ahead through Fandararo, who else? But it was ruled to be offside by six centimetres. Passos immediately hit back through Adrian Butzka, doubled their lead through Nulo Lima and nearly killed the game a few times with opportunities for the third goal before Navarro got one back that wasn't ruled out to set up a dramatic finish which ultimately Pastor Ferrer managed to hold on to for a valuable three points and only their second win of the season a great game really on balance Barney between two teams that were really up for it and both wanted the three points Ah uh, yeah I mean
1: every season now that I like to saw find a play or perhaps find find a shirt uh, that I, I i really desire for, for that season and i tell you what just solely on this game i think it's got to be a nicholas guy so i and knew
0: cause... you were gonna say that i'm oh, so man. pleased to hear you say that because
1: i i've i've really i've i've got to be honest i haven't really been a fan of his uh, while he's been at Passos. you know I, I we've seen glimpses but in this game the, the pedigree you know the, the quality was just so there and i the one for me, however, was the assist for the second goal. Very, very, very few players in in the whole of the football who would have done what he did there. He had his back to goal. He was facedly, you know, he was he was going the wrong way, but he just he just knew to put that ball in in that dangerous area without even looking up, and it he just fell to Nuno uh, Lima, and and he managed to get it over the line. And I just thought, yeah, I it just it all it all clicked for me in that moment, and I, I, I'm just set on that shirt, I need to get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> which you know what I loved about Nico Guida in this game for me he was man of the, he was awarded man of the match but he was my man of the match as well. The thing that I loved about him in this game not just the quality that he showed not just the class that he showed but he led from the front he got involved with the press and he was a leader on the pitch which I think is so key. You know we've spoken a few times about how the veterans in this team are going to be so important for Passos Survival and Tunes Luis Carlos Nico Guida all three were on the pitch for this game all three I thought put in uh, performances that performances on real leadership but Nico Gaetan had his moment in the sun today his best game in a passional shirt for me wonderful quality on the ball with his passing his shooting as I said his his positive football his, his, his attitude um, and I just thought he was, a, he was an asset to the team and, and what an asset to have when you need players who are going to drag your team out of a relegation battle him and those other senior players that we mentioned are going to be such an asset to this team
1: i thought he, he really linked up well with um butzka you know and because i think that was a that was a really important partnership in this game you know there was some really nice little intricate um touches between the two of them and then uh, it was around this time last year that uh butzka i think started to bang a few goals for passer to but i think um They've obviously seen Alexander Gredas uh, who is uh, in in this window and he's impressed me the last few times he started for them recently. But I think in this game, Bootska really sort of showed that difference that he's got because they're both quite similar strikers, you know, tall um, target men, if you will. But seen seemed a little bit more dynamic. And like I said, yeah, he's got s- some nice touches. So he was, you know, it was great for him to get his goal as well. And, and I thought he was, you know, he like you mentioned, the pass was really really played on the front foot and the attack, didn't they and and, and the press and, and he was also part
0: of that so I
1: thought yeah I thought he had a really good game
0: Really good header really good header for the goal wasn't it um, which is good to see the second goal uh, people because I'm sure a lot of our listeners haven't watched this game uh, but go watch the highlights because the second goal is fantastic from Nuno Lima it's, the ball comes in from, from Nico Gaetan and it's a diving header that you think he's going to miss and he gets a head on it the, he gets the ball on target the keeper saves it and he somehow whilst lying on the floor after his diving header manages to flip the ball into the back of the net with his oh, foot for the keeper as well it's it's a phenomenal bit of skill I, I, when we watched it live I was I couldn't believe it when I was watching the replays because it looks almost like the ball just bounces off his foot and goes in but when you see the closest on the replay it's a really good piece of skill that he means to, to get over the keeper so it's a really incredible finish and and I think the two goals were no less than than Passos deserved. Definitely, I was just going to say, I think uh, Nuno
1: Lima has been a, a really good player for Passos. You know, uh, he is the youngest centre back. I think he's only like twenty one years old, and uh, so I was really happy they got on the short bec- score sheet because I think yeah, he's been sort of quietly a, a, a really solid player for them. And I, uh, you know, and just another example of you know you, you mentioned it earlier how this Passos squad is probably the most extreme example of blending old players and young players because if you if you take get yeah, the old players. Everyone else is like twenty-three and under, essentially. Um, but he's been good, and and I also I just wrote, wrote down that I think, Nigel Thomas were really his confidence is growing. You know, there were some lovely little passes, lovely little flicks, and that. And friend um, of the show, Zach uh tweeted about him saying he's going to be a good player, uh, an important player for Passos. So I feel like that's the seal of approval. You know, <laughs> you know, he's he's yeah, he's absolutely he's looking really confident.
0: Yeah, positive signs for Passos. Um. What about from Gilles perspective, Barney? Because, obviously, they're also a team that have been improving recently. We've talked about how Daniel Souza's had a good impact on the side. They would have targeted this game as an important win and it could have been very different, you know. They had the ball in the back of the net at first. Uh, it was a very close offside call which went against them. Um, and perhaps on another day, they get a different result out of the game, you know. I think Passos just edged it on the night, but Gilles Vicente were, were well in this game and you know, it's no shame in losing to Pasto Ferreira. Maybe it might have been before the World Cup, you know, to lose to Pasos would have been a real kind of uh, badge of shame, shall we say. But um, it was a tight game. I think they were a little bit unlucky with the offside. I thought they pushed really well. The last 10 minutes were really dramatic. They, you know, they were really peppering Pasos' goal. So it could have been a different game. Could have been a different result. But on balance for me, I think it was it was just about a fair result. I think they perhaps
1: struggled with... Um... You know, we talked about it last week as our well, passes having getting plenty of players forwards and runners, and I think in the in the fullback position, it's crash and Marin. I think they, they 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 seem to struggle that in moments. And and, and you know, if you look at passes goals as well, both headers. You know that that sort of weakness in the air they, they the the defenses and their strong point. As it's just guess the point I'm trying to make is. But also, I think you've got to look at the perhaps look at the players they they had to bring on. You know, Kevin Rodriguez, uh, Bassetti Ushiera like these are all sort of players we've talked about occasionally but you know they, they didn't really but well, they weren't really able to add anything is what I'm trying to say you know when you talked about they were pushing for that equaliser there wasn't anyone they could throw to, to, to perhaps get that little touch that little bit of luck but yeah this was always going to be a really tight game really close to that
0: and I agree with you I think it was a fair result for Passos another three points in Passos's march towards an incredibly unlikely um, survival great escape Let's see how it goes. Definitely a team to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. Um, let's do on this game, Barney. Let's talk about Boa Vista versus Portimonense. It won't come to anyone's surprise that the highest scoring game of the week involved Portimonense, a side who have been conceding goals for fun recently. They took another hefty defeat at the hands of Boa Vista and they lost 4-2. All the goals came in the second half, Barney. I watched the first half of this game and it was 0-0, Gave up and they proceeded to score six goals in the second half, which I think was, uh, you know, always going to happen. But look, very positive result for Boavista, who themselves have not been in amazing form. But just another absolute disaster for Portimonense. They've conceded eight goals in two games, but that's not against sides in the top four. You know, that's not against big four clubs. That's against Ruca and against Boavista. So really, really worrying times for, for Portimonense. I mean, Albert, the first goal defensively was. Or almost disgraceful. I think all four goals, let's make no mistake, were,
1: were poor goals. Uh, uh, the, the reason I wanted to bring up the first goal was because, you know, the the ball. Uh, so I think Port- uh, Bovis had put the ball in, didn't he? And then it sort of comes looping out of the box, heading towards the, the side of the pitch. And I think the whole of that Portman's back line thought it was out for a throw. And all switched off, all started to walk towards, towards out, of the, out of the goal. And Pedro just completely lost NG. He just didn't have a clue that that ball was still in play. And that. Uh, and then there you go that's where the floodgates are opened and, and once again there's these silly mistakes just started to appear I mean it was you look at the back line though Mufi, Pedral, Relvas all players that we've rated at some points and yeah. something's happened something's happened where it's not clicking and I don't know what they're,
0: they're in real trouble but real real trouble there are big problems at that club all four goals were dreadful goals to concede as you say, it was a useless defending for the first. Everyone switched off. It was unforgivably lazy defending for the second goal as well. I urge everyone to go and watch the highlights so you know what we're talking about. Um, a terrible defensive mistake for the third when the midfielder just passes the ball back to his keeper. Can't get the pass right. The basics of football gives it to the Port- uh, the Boa Vista attacker. And for the fourth goal, obviously, it's late in the game and they get caught on a 3v1 counter-attack. To say the signs are worrying is an understatement because these players, Barney, have down tools. They are not interested in playing for the team anymore. They're not interested in playing for each other. There's no organisation. There's no focus. There's no awareness from that defence. I'm not saying it's all his fault, Barney, but I cannot see Paolo Sergio being in charge of this team much longer because when... When a team is playing this badly, it is so hard for a manager to come back from that to get to get the team back. I can't see him staying in charge.
1: I'm glad to agree with you, and perhaps to sort of the amount of players they brought in this transfer window.
0: I mean, I guarantee you, they're not the manager's players because they're signing no. free agents from all over the place. I don't know if we specified earlier in the show, but they basically signed twelve players this January transfer window, and, and they let five go. I think all twelve uh, were free transfers, maybe a couple of loans. Players coming in from Brazil, players coming in from—they signed a Korean centre back from China. I don't think these are the manager signings. I think, I think there's a big disconnect between the manager and the board. I don't know what the sporting direction is. I don't know who these players are playing for anymore. I just—I don't know what the answer is for Porto Men's because they're in freefall. They are going down fast, and they need to arrest the situation as quickly as possible. Oh, how it
1: breaks my heart to hear that because I've always had a soft stop for Portman and Zan said, you. Know. But I think you know we you can't deny the results. Well. I mean, look, let's flip it onto Vista because they, as 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 bad as Portman's were, you know, I thought there was some really positive play from Bo Vista. There, I thought they were very aggressive. You know, the way they caught Portman sleeping. You know, that you still need to be up for that. You still need to be aware. And, and I think I've criticised Petit in the past for playing Ricardo Mangas as a winner as a winger you know, as he started off at Bovis as as a, as a fullback, but man, he was so good in this game. We were playing on the left wing and then he was playing on the right wing in the second half. And I think that in those wide areas and the pitches where Bovis was so strong, you know, the fullbacks get forward, they overlap the runs. Mario has been a really decent at right back. And even the young Nigerian um, Bruno got, you know, got his goal in this game. He was always an option on that left-hand side as well. And, but it was a man guess out for me. He, He just, you know, he pressed and pressed, he ran and ran and, and, it, it, it was it was everywhere, and and it, it, a lovely finish for his goal, and, and yeah, I think brilliant performance from him.
0: Two goals for you sir, and G as well, Barney. Good for him to continue his goal scoring form. He's been a bit in and out of the team this season, um, but yeah, good for him to start scoring and getting some consistency. Let's move on to another game, Barney. Um, I want to talk about Vizela versus Rio Ave. Another really good win for Vizela, who continued to do well under new manager Tulipa. they beat Rio Ave three one. They came back from one nil down. But a very damaging result for Real by, I can't help but think that you who know, they really needed a win. They 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 still do, and and they lost in a really disappointing manner because obviously they went ahead on the stroke of half time, but they let everything go in the second half. You know, it was a a, a really poor goalkeeper. Era. You hate to say it that that let Vizela back in the game, and then later on it was a red card that that didn't really help matters. So I don't know what you think about them in this game in the season as a whole. It just doesn't seem that things are going their way at the moment, really. I don't know if that's fair. You you look at the the team, and it, it just doesn't seem to be enough.
1: You know, we we mentioned individuals, you know, throughout the season. You receive obviously, Guga in midfield, Costinha uh, right wing back. But apart from that, you know, the 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 quality really does seem to to drop and. There doesn't really seem to be much going on there, really. It's, it's, it's a hard one to describe. I mean, honestly, I did, you know, with the form that Vizetta have been in, I actually thought this was always going to be quite a tough game for them. So um, I agree. They, they, you know, the, the fact they were able to get ahead, maybe we be, should be saying that this is an opportunity for them to come over at least a point, but they did they, they, they let go.
0: Well, look, the way, the way I saw the game was, I thought it was it was great goals from Vizena's perspective, right? The first is obviously a freak error from from Rearalph's perspective, for anyone who's not seen it, it's basically a pass back to the keeper who he misses the pass back. It's him. way too long. It's, it's a night it's a nightmare situation for the keeper. But Samu still has to do really well to capitalise on it because he picks up the ball right on the byline at the edge of the box and he has to show real composure to cut back on the keeper and he really sits down the keeper and leaves him for dead uh, and works. it's a really well-worked opportunity to, to, to get the goal. I think there are other players who would have missed that chance. Um, and then, of course, you know the second goal, fantastic, really good header, really well worked team move, and I really like the third goal. Um, Ozmajic playing with a bandage on his head after getting kicked in the head by Adelan Santos, which is not something I would wish on anyone to be honest. Um, he does really well on the counter attack. You know, it, it's 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 a it's a breakaway where I think it's it's basically two on one in Real's favour, but he does really well to hold off both defenders and, and finds a really good finish for the third goal to kill the game when when Rio had been pushing for an equaliser. So um, although the first and third goals might suggest that Vizela had this game handed to them on a plate, I think um, what you really take in this game is that they did really well to take the chances that they were given. And ultimately, I think that was the difference between the two sides in this game. Vizela were clinical and made very few mistakes. And Rio, whilst in terms of quality on the pitch, I don't think were that different to Vizela, they were comparatively sloppy and i think they lost this game because of because of two big individual mistakes in my opinion
1: you know that's one of the things in this league that when, when teams sort of seem to be getting their luck seems to be coming in at once you know that, that's a team like vizella i say now you know the charges just go in when when you get them whereas yeah you know Viz- obviously relied on the penalty in this game to score and and and, and couldn't get the ball in yet in that otherwise yeah, but a, f- a fantastic win for Vizella and, and and you know what the 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 two goal scorers in Samuel and I Magic, I just think particularly Samuel, Man. I mean, I'm it's hard to it's hard to describe him, Alba, But I think the the best way I can do it is to say that he's he's a prime candidate for the Ryan Gould Award coming into the season. <laughs> you know, in terms of a player sort of performing out, you know, above the the quality the standard of his team. Let's
0: say he's
1: certainly one of these. I think he's been absolutely fantastic this year.
0: Yeah, no, he's been excellent, and um, because they have been excellent, and we have to say, we have to be fair, Barney, because we were pretty disgusted when Alma Pacheco was dismissed. But Tulip is doing a great job, man. I think they're playing really yeah. well, and they've got some really good results under him. So credit to them because they're playing well, they're getting the results, and unlike Rio Ave, they're they're in a healthy position in the table and, and looking good. So I think this is a really interesting game just to compare two sides who perhaps on paper might not be very different, but who are in de- very different positions. Uh, in terms of how their season's going, I want to do one more game, Barney. One last game. I want to talk about Casapia versus Santa Clara because Casapia got back to winning ways. After, let's face it, some disappointing results. You know, we wondered whether they were having a blipping form, but they got a 2 1 win over Santa Clara. And in my opinion, I think this game was all about one player, and that's their new on loan Japanese winning winner, Yuki Soma, who, with the game at 0 0, comes on for his debut with 30 minutes to play and provides a goal and an assist to give his new side a win. It was a wonderful free kick as well, a great set piece, a great way to introduce yourself to your new club, uh, and a good assist to kick-cap a really positive performance for a player who looks like they could be a real difference maker for Kasapir.
1: Oh, certainly, man. I mean, it just adds that sort of quality in their attacking options. And I, I love this free kick. I love the fact that, they, you know, this, the celebrations as well. It was just... it was, It was... It was yeah, it was, it was lovely to see, and I think overall for the this performance was so key to so getting that win at, at the end, as they did. You know, Clason getting on uh, their sort of other striking option and, and making a difference in, in the air. Uh, yeah, it was it was a, a really important game for them, and I think there was, I think perhaps you could see the pressure. You know, in, in their starting eleven, you know, their, their sort of set eleven. You know, there was a couple of chances. Rafael Martins had a few, and they just weren't able to. To, to capitalize and and it maybe it did need the the, the fresh face coming in with it, with the sort of the you no know, weight of pressure on his shoulders to, to to make that difference and I mean I mean I'm so excited to see to see to see him uh what else he can do the rest of the season because I, I love the fact that he took the free kick you know a new a new guy turning up on the training field he's like oh I love this thing you know it's, it was yeah it's really really good to see
0: a great header from Clayton as well by to get the winner he's making a name for himself as as their starting striker pains me to say it but perhaps a bit more of an all-round player than Rafael Martins perhaps obviously a bit more um could be a real influence for them because I think that was a position they weren't quite settled on at the beginning of the season who was going to start up front but um he's had a real positive impact for me uh on Casa recent games uh, I I wanted to, if there's one thing I wanted to talk about for
1: Santa Clara and that was Gabriel Silva the, the, the guy who scored the penalty and got the penalty I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times you know I'd I just remembered that he's only 20 years of age and he looks like a really exciting little attacking midfielder on that right hand side for them he's 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 great on the ball lovely dribbles and he he seems to be the only one really in that that santa clara side who seems to be able to actually deliver something you know he has that bit of quality to to make something happen so I, know, I was pleased he got a goal but i think he's he's a player that they need to yeah we all need to keep an eye on because he, he could do so
0: i think as a team they weren't awful yeah they did have some chances But they ultimately couldn't get, you know, couldn't get anything out of the game. And and at some point they really do have to start arresting a poor run of form that they're on because I think they're a team that's in danger of getting sucked into a renegation battle, especially with teams like Passos getting points on the table and, you know, that renegation battle is suddenly heating up a bit.
1: I think what I would add to it, read is is. Well, I just wanted to talk about it. Nanu's back in the league. Uh, <laughs> he, he's, I knew he's kind of going to bring this up. <laughs> no, but I, I think that you know that that's uh, Nanu to Nani to Santa Clara from uh, from Porto on loan, having returned. He was at the MLS, wasn't he? But he's come back and he, he's he, I don't know. I I've I'll, I'll always liked Nanu. I think he's a great right back, a uh, very attacking right back. So I think you know him on that right hand side with Gabriel Silva. I mentioned could be really good for them, and I think that's if it's that's a good quality signing. You know, it's not a panic signing. It's not like like a, a nobody. It's, it's someone you we know can do it in this league. And yeah, I, I I'm I'm sort of tipping it to tipping it to be all right there. Of course you are. Of
0: course you are. Well, that's the last of the games that we're going to discuss this week. But uh, other games that happened over the weekend, of course, Victoria beat Chavs two one. Incredible game by the sounds of it. I didn't manage to watch it, but two goals uh, in stoppage time in that game made for a really, really interesting fixture. Um, And of course, Pamela Cal beat Estoril 1-0 on Sunday night, uh, another interesting game. Obviously, we haven't discussed the big teams in this podcast, but if you keep your eyes peeled for later in the week, we will be guests on the Quarterly podcast with Zach Lowry, where I'm sure we'll be discussing all of the action from those big clubs in this midweek fixtures. Well, look, it brings us to the end of the show. and As you know, the one thing we like to do at the end of each episode is give you some recommendations of games that you might like to watch this weekend. The schedule's a little bit messed up again, Barney, but uh, if you had to pick a game from the upcoming round of fixtures to watch to recommend to our listeners, what would it be? Keeping in theme of the, this this podcast,
1: I've, I've, I'm really excited for Gilles and at 8.30 on Sunday night. You know, both te- both teams just had a loss uh, this Giordano, but both teams are trying to... Well, Ruka certainly and was Maybe not so much, but teams on the up. So, yeah, I'll, I'll
0: keep an eye on that one. Definitely. That sounds like a really tasty tie. Um, of course, we recommended as you we said last week, didn't we? So, if I was going to go for something different, do you know what, Bonnie? I'm probably going to go for the Saturday night game, Estonville versus Victoria. I think that's two teams that we haven't focused on that much in recent episodes. So, perhaps that's a game that we should both watch on Saturday night uh, and report back with our findings teams on next week's podcast. Two teams uh, who've not had the most eye catching seasons, but nonetheless. Who will be a very good game of football. We'll look, we'll leave it there for this week's episode of the Longball Football Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a star rating on Spotify uh, if you use that service. If you want to get in contact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at Longball Football. We're always happy to get involved in any conversations you guys want to have, so drop us a message or a comment anytime. But that just leaves me to say thank you very much, honestly, and we'll see you next week. Yes, yeah, so next week.